Um, how many of you guys were here last week? Some of you, okay. So you'll, you'll kind of get this. Last week I got the opportunity to open up this idea of you can't live for God on purpose. There's never going to be a day when you wake up and say, man, yesterday I lived for God on accident. I said you can't live for God on purpose. Let me rewind that. <laughs> last week, <laughs> for those of you that were here, last week I, got, I, I opened up this concept of you can't live for God on accident. There's never going to be a day when you wake up and say, man, I just lived for God on accident yesterday. Because living for God is something that we have to purpose to do. We have to choose, we have to wake up every day and say, today I choose to live for you, God. Today I choose to draw close to you. Today I choose to grow in you. I used this quote last, last week. It says, you must know. You must know for which harbor you are headed if you are to catch the right wind to get you there. Like, you got to know where you want to go if you want to put in place the steps to get you to where you want to go. You can't can't do it on accident. You have to make purpose decision to do it. This is like the moment when you're driving. I told this story last week, driving to, to work at the mall, and I get to work, and I don't remember the drive getting there. It was like I just drove on autopilot. I just coasted to to there, and I couldn't remember the going through stoplights. I couldn't remember which direction I took. I just know that I made it there. And sometimes that can happen with life where we can just happen through life, but we have to choose to, instead of like, let life happen to us, we have to happen to life. We have to make decisions that are purpose to getting there. And walking out last week, I kind of gave us a moment, and we took a moment, and we said, how do we, or what do we have to do to grow in one area of our life? So I'm going to be I'm gonna be open and honest with you guys. Last week, one of the things that God was putting on my heart, even as I was preparing my message, is fasting. I don't know if you like fasting. This dude don't like fasting. It's hard for me to fast. So I chose and said, I want to grow in the area of fasting. So I've decided, and I did it this, this last week, there was one meal that I, that I didn't eat. And I chose instead to take that time and pour it into God. And, and to tell you the truth, it was the most enriching moment of my week. Because I said, I want to be purposed. I can see the harbor that I want to go for. So I'm going to take active steps to get me to go in that direction. And my challenge for you is if you were here last week and you did that, maybe you got an opportunity to put that into practice. Maybe you didn't start this week and say, God, I'm, I want to be purposed about the direction I'm going. So I'm going to put things in place that are going to get me to where I want to go. I'm going to make this an active pursuit of Christ instead of a passive going through the, the, the day-to-day motions of life. Uh, so what I want to talk to you guys about today is something very much related to that. I want to take that concept and look at the next step. One of my favorite sayings in life is set up for success. And the reason I like this saying is because honestly, oftentimes I see people either not set themselves up for success or I see where they're not set up for success by the position they're in. Maybe they're in a position at work where they're not given the tools that they're needed to accomplish the job that they're asked to do. So I like to think of this idea of how can I set people up for success? And we need to also have this concept in our lives, in our relationship with God, in our pursuit of Christ, in our living our life of how do we set ourselves up for success? 
So when I was younger, uh, in the 90s, there was a little jingle that went with an ice cream bar. The ice cream bar was the Klondike bar, and I'm sure you could probably finish this jingle. It said, what would you do for a Klondike bar? How many of you guys have seen that commercial? Yeah, yeah, you remember it? The person, they're like, would you dance like a monkey in the middle of Times Square? And you see the person in the middle of Times Square dancing like a monkey, and it's like, here you go. Here's your, here's your Klondike bar. There's one problem with Klondike bars. Do you know what they are? The one problem with a Klondike bar is it's not big enough, right? Because I can eat a Klondike bar in about four bites. Anyone with me? I can eat a Klondike bar in about four bites. So the concept is this. I'm going to give you something that's going to give you a moment of pleasure, and I'm going to video record it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that video, and when the pleasure has well worn off, I'm going to portray it on national TV and make a fool of you for everyone else to see just to promote the Klondike bar. That's essentially what it is. It's like, what would you do? What would you give up in the future for a, for, for a few moments of pleasure right now? And we have this as a funny, like, ice cream, and that's, that's cute, and, oh, look, that person's dancing and making a fool of themselves, and, and we don't think that much of it. But the problem is, oftentimes, we can make decisions that give up so much in the future to make life a little easier or a little more pleasurable in the now. So often, we can make decisions that take us away from the destination we want to go, that take us away from the harbor that we're headed for, we can make decisions right now so that things will be a little bit easier because so often we live in the now, don't we? As humans, we're, we're about what it feels like right now. We're about what the senses, we're, we understand the world through our senses. So what we do is we could take and we can make decisions based on our senses, on our feelings, but it could take us away from the direction that we really, truly want to go. There was this guy that lived a long time ago. His name was Polycarp. To be honest, I heard this and I was like, plastic guy, because Polly and Carp. And then I was like, no, plastic fish, you know? It's like a gold, sorry, polycarp, plastic, fish, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Anyways, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, come on. Um, this guy named Par Polycarp, he lived when Marcus Aurelius was emperor of Rome, and there was fierce persecution that started underneath Marcus Aurelius of of, of Christians, and Polycarp was known as, he was a saint, and he was known as the father of all Christians at the time. What a name. Wouldn't that be like an awesome legacy to have? Like, it's crazy. Anyways, the, he, lived, he lived during this time, and he was a saint, and he oversaw the church in Smyrna. And he was out, and he lived in a small town because his friends said, hey, you got to get out of town. And he lived in a small town not far from, from Smyrna. And there was vast persecution that began. And all of a sudden, some of the people that ran uh, the, the government at that time started putting pressure on find Polycarp. we got to find this guy. So they began to search him out, and they search him out. And the story goes, and it's, it's recorded in history, the story goes that they find him, and he's, he says, hold up a minute. I'll go with you, just give me a moment to pray and get myself ready. So he goes and he prays and he gets himself ready. And he goes with them. 
And it, the, 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 as history tells it, as he was going, he's walking through the city and they're about, to, they're about to make a martyr out of him. They're about to kill him. And there's a, an audible voice that's heard by all the believers that are around him. And it, it says, Polycarp, uh, play the man. Play the man. Essentially, like Polycarp, it's about to be real. Be strong. So there's an audible voice that's heard by all the believers that says, Polycarp, play the man. So Polycarp goes, and they set up a wooden stake, and they put logs around the wooden stake. And typically, they would nail someone to the wooden stake. But Polycarp says, you don't have to nail me. I'll stand there. I'll stand there. I won't try to get away. So they tie him simply with ropes up there. He doesn't, and he says, I won't try to get away. So they're out there. They're they're trying to persecute him. You can imagine, you can imagine what's going through people's heads at this moment. So Polycarp's attached to this wooden stake. He's got all these, these logs around him, and it says that they light them on fire. And it says that the, the, the fire goes up around him and goes and touches itself above his head, forming like a circle, but it does not touch him. And he's just standing there in the middle of this fire. So the guards at that point don't know what to do, so they take and they stab him. It says... That, that blood gushed out of him, and enough blood came out of him, it extinguished the fire around him. So he, he ends up dying, but, but some things happen in this moment. It says that the people that were there were supposed to be afraid now of living for God, but now the people that saw it are actually now encouraged, and they choose to live for God more. But I want to look at this story of Polycarp, and I want to look at, look at what he went through, because he, w- he was tempted Polycarp knew the direction that he was going, right? He knew that he was living for God. He knew the harbor that he wanted to head for, and now he had a decision to make. They actually gave him a moment in time where they said, Polycarp, you could choose to denounce Jesus Christ, say that Marcus Aurelius is Lord, and you will live. And Polycarp says, there's no way I can do that. He says, essentially, after years of living for Christ, with what Christ did for me, how can I turn my back now? Polycarp knew the place he wanted to go, and he knew the decisions he had to make to get him there, even though it was going to take him to that stake and being stabbed and dying. He said, I'm going to choose purposefully to live in a direction that takes me towards Christ. I wonder, I wonder how much temptation there was in Polycarp for him to choose to say that Marcus Aurelius is Lord, that emperor is Lord. I wonder, I wonder how much temptation there was. He had that Klondike bar moment, right? He had that moment where he's sitting there and he's thinking, I can choose to take a bite of this ice cream bar and not go to the cross and live a long life, but what would he be giving up in the future? What would he have been sacrificing in the future for a few moments of ease at that point? My first point today, if you're taking notes, is the temptation to slip. Oftentimes, we have a temptation to slip. We have a temptation because there are many times when that ice cream bar looks pretty good. And that ice cream bar could be a couple different things. It could be, it could be us choosing to go participate in something that's, that's unbiblical. It could be a sin. It could be a sexual relationship. It could be looking at something we shouldn't. It could be uh, 
being arrogant at work, being prideful at work. It could be that, or it could be simply not doing something that God's calling you to do. There's, there's multiple ways that this could come at us, but there's moments in our lives when we are tempted to slip. We're tempted to turn away from it. Check it out. Check it out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. But the point is here, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. John 16, 33 These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to be tempted. James 1, starting in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. You're going to have trials. If you go on 1 Peter 1, 6, but in this You greatly rejoice, even though now for a while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. This life is not going to be easy. Jesus actually looked at his disciples and said, people are going to hate you because of me. How encouraging would that be? You walk into math class, you sit down, your math class teacher looks at you and says, because you're in this class, there's going to be a lot of people that hate you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. We're going to we're gonna have opportunities. We're going to have moments where we can say, you want to know what? It's a least, little easier to back off and, and stand in the back rather than going forward in what God has me to do. But we've got to think about this. Where do we want to be? Which harbor are we heading towards? Because there is a temptation to slip. There's a temptation to choose not to engage in what God has us for. But look at Polycarp. He looked and said, I know where I want to go. And I know that if I want to go there, I've got to choose the hard thing at this moment. I've got to choose to do what's necessary at this moment. He said that my end is where i got to go. And right now I've got to choose to go through this. So my second point to my message is this. If there's a temptation to slip, what do we have to do? We have to stay strong. We have to choose to stay strong. We need to set up a defense for ourselves. We need to look and say, you want to know, I'm purposed on going towards that harbor that I've been sailing for, and I'm not going to let a storm interrupt that. There's a story where Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew, and it says that he's telling his disciples this story, and it's about two guys. And one guy builds his house on the sand, the other guy builds his house on a rock, and he says the same storm hit both of them. The same storm hit both of them. When we choose to live for God, the storms are going to hit us. But we got to choose to say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to choose to go to the same place, even though the storm may be trying to push me to the side. I'm going to choose to walk in that same direction because I know where I want to go. I know the harbor I'm heading for. So I'm going to choose to walk in those difficult moments. This week when I was fasting, can I tell you, can I tell you what my body sits there and says when I decided I wanted to fast? Oh, you can't do that. Uh-uh. You open up that fridge and everything starts to look delicious the night before you start to fast, doesn't it? 
It's like, oh, I could have that for breakfast, or I could have that, you know. So in those moments, we got to choose to be strong and stand. So how do we do that? How do we choose to be strong? How do we choose to stand? I love, I love this series Pastor Dwayne did probably about two years ago. It might have been three years ago now. He did a series called Guardrails. If you weren't there, you should look up this series, Guardrails. It's this idea of like on roads, if you're by a cliff, they put up a guardrail. But they don't put up a guardrail right on the edge of the cliff. They put up a guardrail where it's still safe to if you hit the guardrail, you don't go flying over the cliff. I was just talking to someone this last week, and they were talking about when they went with their family in the mountains one time, and they lost their brakes in their car. And they're flying down this mountain pass, no brakes. The, the dad's like tapping the emergency brakes a little bit. And they talked about how they, how they went up one of those shoot-offs, you know, where the, because semi-trucks lose their brakes, so they make these little shoot-offs. And they like slid sideways up to the very cliff of it. I can imagine that they were saying, I wish there was a guardrail. We need to set up guardrails in our lives. So if we have a temptation... Uh, if we have a temptation, let's just say this, if we have a temptation to look at something on the internet that's unholy, if we have a temptation to look at pornographic images, we shouldn't set up the guardrail that goes off right before we get on there. We should set the guardrail up way over here. Like maybe the guardrail should be we shouldn't even get on the computer when we're alone. Maybe we shouldn't even have a smartphone. I don't know. We set up guardrails in our lives. So you got to look and say, what's the cliff that I'm tempted to fall off? If I want to stand strong, the cliff I'm tempted to fall off, I need to set some things in my life that are going to make it so I can't even get close to the cliff. So we got to set up guardrails. we got to know where we want to go, set up guardrails so that we can't get off in that, off from that track. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. I love this. You can remember this as 2 Corps 10 4. 2 Corps 10 4, it's a military term. It's like the weapons we use aren't physical weapons. I don't take a baseball bat to wield off the devil, I take the word of God, right? I stand against the devil with the word of God. When I come up against the temptation and there's something trying to throw me off the harbor I'm going towards, I use the word of God and say, get behind me, Satan, because I'm a child of God. I have not been tempted more than what I can handle. God will give me the strength to get through this. And you choose to stand firm, choose to keep heading in that direction. I'm sure that's what Polycarp did when those people came up and they're going to take him and they're going to arrest him. He knows what's going to happen. I'm sure when he went in there and prayed, he didn't say, Lord, you know, he, he was praying very specific. He was saying, Lord, give me the strength to walk through this with confidence so that everybody that sees me becomes bold and confident in and of themselves in who you've made them to be. We've got to set things in place. We've got to choose to use spiritual weapons. We come at the devil with spiritual weapons. We use the word of God. We use worship. Do you know that when you turn on a worship song and begin to worship, literally it will change things? It will change the presence of which, uh, in which you are or the presence in the area you're at. Paul, sorry, excuse me, King Saul in the Old Testament says a tormenting spirit was on him. When a tormenting spirit was on him, he would call David in to play and worship in his presence, and that spirit would leave him. We need to use spiritual weapons to wield off the devil. In Ephesians 6, 
Starting in verse 10, it says, finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Whose might are we supposed to be strong in the power of? God's might. It's not my strength that gives me the ability to keep walking in the direction God's calling me. It's the strength of God inside of me. You could go through this and it talks about the armor we have and it talks about all this stuff. And then in verse 17 it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It talks about all the stuff that the armor, it talks about all the armor of God and it's got all this stuff and it says the one weapon we have is the word of God. So we choose to use the word of God and make it living and active in our lives to help us get through any temptation that would, that would tempt us to slip. Because all of us are going to have temptations that come, right? Each and every one of us are going to have it. If you didn't have one today, there might be one tomorrow. If you didn't have one tomorrow, there might have been one yesterday. We're all going to have it. And we got to choose to say, no, I know where I'm going. Just like Polycarp, I know what's going to happen but I'm choosing to be strong in that moment. I'm choosing to rely on the strength of God inside of me in that moment so that I can keep walking in the direction God has called me to walk. Joshua 1.9. I've commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I love Psalms 23. Write down Psalms 23 if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, pull out your phone right now and text yourself Psalms 23. This week, you should, you should rest for a moment in Psalms 23. Listen to what this says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of, of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though, I love this. I can imagine that like Polycarp was thinking of this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Come on, next time you're in a storm that's tempted to take you off the path that God has for you, you should begin to quote this to yourself. The devil's bound to run. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Can you imagine that? Like next time someone comes up and starts saying some stuff to you, you're like, don't worry, God's preparing a presence in the middle of your living room for me. Or he's got a table in the middle of your living room for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's funny, I can imagine that while writing this psalm, you're probably not in a good place if you're writing this psalm because this isn't a, this probably isn't a, a, a description of a current situation. It's probably more a declaration of what you're hoping for. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The problem is so often we can make decisions on today. So often we make decisions on what feels good right now. I think God wants us to choose to make decisions on tomorrow and not today. 
there's this, there's this guy in the Bible named David. David's story is interesting to me. Because there's two things that conflict in my head. I think about David did some pretty wicked stuff. Yet, yet it says that he is a man after God's own heart. David found himself one day, he was on the roof of his palace. It says, while kings should be at war, and he's the king, it says that he's hanging out, taking it easy on the roof of his palace. And he's got a Klondike bar moment. Because he knows what God has called him to do. He knows the harbor which he is headed for, but he's on the roof of his palace and it says that he looks down and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Naturally, the palace would probably be the highest point in the city, one of the highest points in the city. The houses next to it would be much shorter. There's a woman bathing. He calls someone. He says, who is that? And this is his Klondike bar moment. The person says, that's Bathsheba, husband of Uriah. David knows Uriah. Uriah's actually pretty well acquainted with David. And Uriah's one of his best fighting men and off in war. And at this moment, David has the Klondike bar in hand and the question's being asked of him, what would you do? What would you do for a few moments of pleasure? And David takes, and knowing what he's giving up, eats the Klondike bar. It says that he called her, she comes up to his room. She can't, I mean, she's, he's the king. She can't really refuse. She comes up to his room. It says that he has sex with her, sends her away. A few days later, she tells him, listen, I'm pregnant. He calls for Uriah. He tries to cover it up. He ends up killing Uriah to cover it up. Here's the beautiful thing about God. God can take the moments when we ate the Klondike bar and he can restore them. One of David's, I'll say this, a prophet comes up to David and says, David, you've messed up big time. Then David goes through and begins to repent and call out to God and say, God, forgive me, forgive me. When it comes to this idea of Klondike bars, there's two things we gotta look at. There's how do I choose to be strong in the future? Because I need to choose to be strong in the future. But then there's God, how do I get healing for the things that I've done, for the moments when I've eaten my Klondike bar? Some of us might be sitting here right now and we might be thinking about all the things that we've given up because of mistakes we've made in the past. Let me tell you something. As you begin to call out to God, as you begin to worship him and humble yourself, God will begin to bring restoration into your life. The only one that can remove Klondike bar situations from our life is Jesus Christ. And calling out to him and saying, Jesus, I need you with everything I have. So this is what we're gonna do. The worship team's gonna lead us through a little bit of worship here. And I want you to pray two things. First of all, if there's a moment that God's putting on your heart, I want you to begin to call out to him and say, I need restoration in this. 
I need healing. I need forgiveness. And the second part, the second thing is, God, I need to stand strong because I know temptation will come. Because the devil wants to throw you off the path to the harbor you're going towards. So we're just going to create an atmosphere of worship and calling out to God. And if that means you got to get off to the side and go somewhere, go somewhere and sit down. If you're good where you are, you can stay sitting. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to come up here, maybe coming up here and laying it on the altar is a good idea. I, I often tell people, imagine, close your eyes, imagine you have it in your hand, and then just hand it over to God. And say, here it is, God, whatever it is. Let me pray, and then we're going to go into worship. Father, we just turn towards you right now. Jesus, we make a declaration with our lives and say we need you. We need you more than anything else, Lord. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we just thank you. Your word says if we desire wisdom, we can ask it of you and you will grant it to us. Lord, I just pray that as those moments come in our life, as he described them, those Klondike bar moments, Lord, we just pray that you would quicken us with your wisdom, that we would recognize those situations, that we would see through any strategy that the enemy is using to try to, to hide or distract us from recognizing the choice that stands before us. And as the Bible says, before us is life and death, and we choose life. In Jesus' name, amen.